around here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shield up. Signatures detected. Context Southeast Command. What's happening? Context Southeast Command. Delay that order. Context Southeast Command. This is the captain. Context Southeast Command. Get out of my chair. 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 We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to the greatest discovery it's a new star trek podcast from the makers of the greatest generation i'm adam pranica i'm ben harrison adam it's the moment we've been anticipating for a long time looking at each other during as a normal matter of course for this podcast yeah and uh many of the others we also work on how's that working out for you (laughs) i guess we actually uh, Technically, our uh, the Max Fun Drive bonus episode that we recorded is the first one that we recorded with you as an Angelino. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was the one where you didn't stop at your new no. residence. You you came straight to my place to record an episode of The Greatest Discovery. That's right. That only dozens of people will ever ever hear. It's true. <laughs> yeah, uh, you're you're kind of the the Roderick of. The greatest generation, because I'm driving to your place. My <laughs> my home is a total shambles. Yeah, uh, it's all it's all boxes and dust right now, and will be for quite some time. So this is going to be the arrangement. Yeah, that you're going to have to get used to. But I think a good object lesson and why we rely on the listeners for support, right? Like if uh, you know if this move had happened and this was just a diversion for us and not it's the first thing to go yeah <laughs> i think right? that's what you're saying yeah <laughs> absolutely <laughs> uh well uh we just we just uh filled our bellies with some barbecue and then came home and watched an episode of star trek picard at my place the way it's meant to be seen this is pretty nice yeah this is all right i, I could get used to that i could dig it yeah i kind of wish we were drinking something but i guess we could uh i guess we could fire this one off sober <laughs> i mean don't threaten me with a all right time. <laughs> um, if Rob edited drunk, I would be pissed, but I think we can record drunk. It's, a, it's I don't the think right we... drunk edit sober of podcasting, right? You and I QA every episode that Rob yeah. edits and uh, can't be sure that he's not drinking <laughs> during the edit. So, <laughs> With the number of notes we have to get... <laughs> What do you think? Should we should we get a little tequila soda going here and, sure. and get into the episode? Yeah, I mean, this is not going to be a drunk episode. It's just two guys having an afternoon cocktail while talking about Star Trek Picard Season 1, Episode 7, Nepente. This is one of those shows that's always got the last time on. Right. And I noticed they went in real close on some of the artwork, some of the... XB Romulans were doing, mm-hmm. and there are a lot of a uh, lot of interlocking circles in that artwork. Oh, really? And uh, and I I guess I just didn't notice it the first time, but that's definitely an image that the two red moons and the necklace seem to evoke. Maybe they're just into making Venn diagrams, <laughs> like Borg, uh, race of my species, yeah. and then in the middle XB, yeah. When I went to college, there was a uh, we had a friend who'd never encountered the idea of a Venn diagram. <laughs> oh, cheers! By the way, oh yeah, here you go. And uh, it's your booze. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, you know, like there's like the regionalisms that probably are less and less of a thing because 
culture is so online now. It's more like subculture right. regionalism than actual physical regionalism. Yeah. But like I'm young enough that like the stuff that they played on the radio where I grew up was actually pretty different from the stuff that they played on the radio where like my friends from New Jersey grew up. Yeah, I mean in in Jersey it's all Springsteen all the time, right? It's Springsteen and Meatloaf. Uh-huh. <laughs> there was another kid who uh <laughs> We were talking about Easter Island, the heads on Easter Island. And he's like, what? And like, it feels like at a certain age, Easter Island and Venn diagrams were the only things I was interested in. Right. <laughs> and uh, he was also from California. And uh, he was like, oh, it must be some kind of an East Coast thing. And I was like, no, not an East Coast thing. See, General knowledge thing. This is why good textbooks in public schools are so important. Before you know it, you get a generation of kids who don't know what Venn diagrams are yeah. or what Easter Island is. Yeah. It's a tragedy. Our buddy Manu Sadia has been trying to convince me to go to Easter Island with him. Your buddy Manu Sadia is what I want to say. What? <laughs> Keep that guy away from me. <laughs> He's like, the flights are going to be so cheap with COVID-19. Oh, yeah. Uh <laughs> Yeah, Manu Sadia, who relishes in the negative, I'm sure is 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 loving the coronavirus scare that we're going through right now. This episode starts with a flashback to the Daystrom Institute. Um, we remember the the beginning of this scene from I think episode two or three of this show. Uh, what what they didn't show then and they show now is the non consensual mind meld that Commodore O springs on Agnes Gerardi. She goes right in there with both hands. I think that you have to ask with a little bit, you know, you have to give somebody a little bit more context when you <laughs> when you go in for the mind meld. It's not, hey, can I show you what will happen? Fingers on face. It's like, can I show you what it will happen using the ancient Vulcan technique of the mind meld? It's... I mean, you would ask before touching anyone anywhere, <laughs> and then there's an extra emphasis on the need to ask if you're going to touch their face. Right. And then finally... <laughs> if you're going to the, invade their mind. <laughs> I think it's crucial that you at least prepare them for the idea, but this is as traumatic as the mind meld we saw in the sixth Star Trek film. It's the mind meld cross-faded with the Mission Impossible tape that will self-destruct because it's like your mission should you choose to accept it Dr. Agnes Gerardi person who works in a lab by herself all the time and is not a spy or a special agent like go into go into space and look into this this thing for us um and we get a, a glimpse of this right. mind-melting truth. It's it's basically a clip show Terminator 2. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's the Judgment Day uh, dream that, that Sarah Connor has. Yeah. I think that there's going to be more about this in the next episode based on... Right, because we see Commodore O wear the same black hood that we see a lot of Romulan characters wear in the preview to the next episode. And right. they're gathered around sort of a, a tiny Stonehenge, <laughs> like a little patio-sized Stonehenge, maybe. Techno stone, Stonehenge. Yeah. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, this, uh, this uh, like any traumatic invasion of one's personal space, uh, causes Agnes Gerardi to barf her sushi up. 
this is an episode where Agnes Girati, I think, achieves the barfing hat trick. <laughs> a lot of barfing going on she, in this one. She is barfing a lot. Wow, she really is. Um, <laughs> She's given a tracking device by Commodore O, and I think it is important to note that it's triangular, right? Yeah, that seems very key. The second most important thing about uh, ingesting a tracking <laughs> device is that it must be chewed in order to work. She says she she puts it in her hand and says, "Take this." And I didn't interpret that as eat this, but Agnes Girati puts it right in her mouth. Yeah. And I wanted Commodore O to be like, no, no, no I, I, didn't mean, I didn't mean like a pill. What are you doing? I meant like put it in a belt loop or like <laughs> stick it inside your bra, doctor. <laughs> <laughs> what, what the hell are you doing? You have to chew it. Yeah. Uh, this, uh, this suspiciously triangular object. Yeah. I mean, I think where before we might have had our suspicions about, oh, I think we're starting to, if we were to stick her into a column mm-hmm. or or like a grid where we put like uh, good, good, bad, bad, good, bad, bad, good. Uh-huh. Like, I think she's skewing towards bad, bad, right? This episode has me wondering because the next scene is Rizzo, like knife to Hugh's throat executing a bunch of XBs to try and get information out of him about where Picard and Soji went. She has really, like, villain monologued a lot so mm-hmm. far, but in this scene, she's saying, like, like by helping them, you have doomed trillions to their deaths. Right. And obviously, like, she and O are coded as super villainous and seem like bad people who are willing to do anything to To do their bad thing to do their bad thing but if it's if their mission is saving trillions of lives like maybe they're not so bad like i wonder if there will be a complicated outcome for them because of like what they're trying to do i've been thinking a lot about that this season in that like part of what a tv show is trying to do is present you with bad guys and good guys and oppose them as the episodes go on, is there a way to tell this story where we sort of understand both motivations? Right. And what does that do to the conflicts as we know them? Does that remove the conflict in a way that we just can't have if we're consuming uh, episodic or or theatrical programming? I, I wonder. Yeah. It's also starting to worry me that this story could veer a little close to season two disco yeah and yep. uh you know different creator working like in a different city like disco is made in toronto mm-hmm. picard is made in la and you would think that the corporate overlords at cbs would be mindful of not having two seasons of prestige television that are so- telling stories that are too similar but uh definitely seems to be at least dealing with a lot of the same themes at this point. I agree. Yeah. Remains to be seen if the big reveal is going to be like the ones we got in both Discovery seasons. Yeah. Definitely seems like the tracker that Commodore O gave Agnes Girati is uh, something that uh, Narek has access to, right? Like he can, yeah. he's picking up her thing and that's why he's able to track the La Serena. I wonder if 
by chewing and eating the tracker, it turns your poop black and like <laughs> your mouth black. <laughs> it's a real Pepto-Bismol tracker situation. It's the gum in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Right. Would you care for some gum? This scene where Rizzo executes all the XBs around Hugh is pretty traumatic in a scene and an episode that is traumatic for Hugh. This right. is a bad Hugh episode. Yeah. A big Hugh episode. I feel like he gets a lot to do and yeah. a lot of like big emotional moments. Yeah, Jonathan Del Arco is great in this episode. He really is. Totally. Um, Elnor does not get there in time to prevent this this slaughter, which is not really the like the slaughter is not the work of people who have the best interest of trillions in mind. I don't think. But maybe if maybe. they feel that desperate, like. Like, are they just like Jack Ryan where they're like, well, we'll just do torture and we have to because that's the, the stakes are too high. You're right. By not torturing them and just killing them, I think uh, I think they're probably still the good guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's where I was headed with that. The La Serena is being held outside by the Borg tractor beam yeah. and uh, and having their, their toilet carved out of their hull <laughs> the way... <laughs> I, I like to believe that all Borg tractor beams go for the bathroom. Go for the bathroom first, and then and then yeah. take that uh, that core sample out. La Serena might be small enough that they only have one or two potties on board, and that could be a real problem. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you don't want to use the bathroom in six bay if you can help it. No, especially with Raffi drinking as much as she is, she's probably taking real bad hangover poops. Yeah, it wasn't me. The thing about. Elnor being on the ship and the La Serena being held by the tractor beam is that uh, if they were to escape, they need to figure out if Elnor's coming with. Right. And uh, and he gets on the radio with them and declines to attend their escape party. Yeah. It's the flashback that tells you and I as the viewers that the reason why they release the tractor beam and let them go. Because with Gerardi on board, they'll always be able to figure out where La Serena is. And with Narek on board, his little ship giving chase, right. it's not going to be a problem. It's a very, uh, did, did you install the tracking system in the Millennium Falcon question. Right. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think Gerardi's got a very interesting episode here, but... Uh, I was sad that uh, Elnor was being left behind, but when you see the rest of the episode, you understand that he needs to help tell Hugh's story. Yeah. Hugh can't be alone for the rest of this ep. No, and I think that Elnor's drawn to lost causes. And And he looks at that pile of XBs and Hugh nearby. This this cause is even loster than the one I was working on earlier. Right. So the Venn diagram with lost cause in the middle is Hugh... As one circle and pile of dead XBs <laughs> as the other. Yeah. I wish we had known one or two of those XBs. Like I wish yeah. I wish they'd like made one or two of those a character that we'd met. Like maybe one of them was the one that recognized Lacutus. Yeah. Just to give us a little bit more weight in that. After the theme song, uh, we find ourselves on Nepenthe where Picard and Soji have taken the uh, the gate to. Yeah. Uh, we meet Kestra, uh, who is like a perfect, precocious Berkeley kid. <laughs> like, I definitely like really got the vibes of like the kids that grew up in special families in in my uh, neck of the woods off of her. And 
Yeah. Knowing that uh, Michael Chabon, uh, you know, spent a lot of time in Berkeley. This was a, a very familiar type of character to me. Uh, <laughs> I think you are this type of, of character, Ben. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? I, I, I think I, in my childhood, aspired to being this type of character, but I was mostly just an obnoxious idiot. Mm. Kestra is a name of great significance in the TNG world. That, of course, is the name of Deanna Troy's dead sister. Oh, shit. The episode Dark Page where Loxana Troy uh, had hid that dark secret about the, uh, the daughter that she had that died at a young age, the secret daughter. Yeah. Her name was Kestra. Wow. Damn. Did not pick up on that. That's a great pull. The actor who plays Kestra Troy Riker in this episode is named Lulu Wilson, and she has a terrifically long IMDb. No kidding. Like, she is not <laughs> very old. And introducing is not no. the way she was credited in this episode. Yeah. She it's was bonkers. Great. Yeah, I, I really liked her a lot. She really, like, made a a super three-dimensional character over the course of a single episode. Like, I want to see the the Kestra show. Really strong work by her. Strong work by her character in that she shoots both Soji and Picard in the head. With, like, a homemade bow and arrow. And, and then we go to credits. I was surprised to see the season end where it did. <laughs> I mean, of all the things to take Picard out. And, like, Picard, like, really trusted her. He told her the thing about his heart being made out of metal. And he told her how to kill him. What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, did you like the season? (laughs) (laughs) Kestra does that thing that I think you were beginning to describe, the Berkeley kid thing of... She, she, on the one hand, we're doing Venn diagrams the whole episode. <laughs> it's kind of the Venn diagram season of television. She is precocious kid. She is also super smart and inquisitive. Yeah. And in the middle of those two is Berkeley kid. Yeah. And it somehow gives her permission to be, to, uh, to ask probing questions in a way that an adult, an adult would never be allowed. Yeah. Probing questions, but she's also like emotionally engaged in a way where she like sees she sees where she's like probed a little too deep and backs right. off quickly. Right. Uh I really liked that about her. I thought that that was uh like a tough a tough line to ride, but right. they but they wrote it very well. One of the things that uh that she asks about is uh you know like what is Soji's relationship to Picard and uh and this leads to like who is your daddy? And what does he do? Picard pipes in with, uh, I'm sure you've heard of Lieutenant Commander Data. uh, And this is when uh, Kestra drops the (laughs) A-bomb, the android word. Yeah. Uh, I don't think Picard was hoping that that bomb in particular was going to get dropped uh, when and where it did. When you're homeschooled, though, and you aren't around a lot of other people, you just... You just blurt things out the way Kestra does here. Totally. The blurting comes fast and furious because this is also when Soji finds out that Dodge is no more. Right. Yeah, kind of a lot dropped on her at once. <laughs> uh, but luckily they have arrived at a very safe space for Picard, 
for Soji, for Kestra, for you and me. Yeah. It is the loving arms of the Troy Riker house, the cabin in the woods. Oh, my God. How how bad do you want to spend a long weekend at the Troy Riker cabin in the woods? Every weekend is how I want to spend it. This was one of a couple of times in the episode where I'm, like, really trying to hold it together. Yeah. Like, to see them is amazing. To see Troy is amazing. And I think we see a glimpse of Troy's character and power in a way that we so rarely ever saw. Like, even in the... in. The movies or in television, when when she hugs Picard yeah. and and like empathically senses all that he's been through and li- starts to lose it herself, yeah, unbelievable. You know she's got she's had that power forever, and now we're finally seeing it. Yeah, like the interaction between them doesn't have that many words exchanged back and forth, yeah. but like you get all of the like loss that he's experienced, his diagnosis, yeah. Like, so much is done with so little in that moment. It, it was Marina Sirtis is incredible in this episode, and this is just the start of, yeah. of what she does. Like, physically, they're so close, but, like, the way she expresses herself physically with him... Totally. ...is, uh, is really great and powerful work by, by her. And Sir Patrick Stewart, to his credit, is, like, just as vulnerable yeah. in that scene. Like, for who else could he be as vulnerable it's it's really great it's a great scene you pointed out that um sh- her name wasn't in the opening credits at the beginning uh but Frakes's was yeah and uh that does feel like a a bit of an insult to her because i feel like she really carries a lot of weight in this episode yeah i mean i'm not shading uh jonathan Frakes at all by saying this but i feel like troy had more dialogue yeah I agree. In the app. A lot of that stuff has to do with agents and right. executives hashing out things. Which is why I think neither of us are thinking this is a veiled or otherwise insult no, at her. I don't think it's that, but it does come across as a little tone deaf by the studio. Like somebody yeah. up at, at the top should have been like, you know what? Like They should have seen the, it coming. The, like from an optic standpoint, this is not good. Yeah. And... We need to make sure that she's given a, a fair shake from from that standpoint. We so often in the season see Picard opposed to people who dislike him. Yeah. Uh, but we get a kind of a different version of that here in that Picard is is with people who are so strong and confident yeah. in themselves and in each other. And in contrast, you you sort of see how defeated and alone Picard is by showing up on their doorstep. It's another it's another version of that contrast. Picard right. and everyone else. Picard is so different from everyone he encounters, even people he's known for a long time. I think that this was an easier pill to swallow. Right. Uh, but like, I don't think we need like any more illustration of the fact that he regrets the way he mm-hmm. handled the end of the Romulan spacelift. But... Mm-hmm. It was nice to get it in a way that didn't just feel like a gut punch. Yeah. Um, Riker has a fully, like, Matt Howey-level tricked-out smart home. Yeah. When Picard walks in, he's like, yeah, you might want to, like, turn your security system on. And he's got shields and cloak scanning. 
built into his rustic log cabin. It had to be so fun to write his dialogue, just hearing it in your head. You know exactly how he's going to bark it out to the sky. Yeah. <laughs> it was a real thrill. And I thought that they had just like given us a little like a little taste of that with him telling Siri to shut the music when yeah. Picard first shows up. But then we get, <laughs> get him raising shields. Can you imagine having him as your dad? Like, oh, man. Like, Kestra, dinner's over. Go to bed. <laughs> I don't want to have to say it a second time, Lieutenant. <laughs> um, we're on a we're on a four shift chore rotation around here. <laughs> I mean, you get a lot about that, right? Like you get a lot of like Riker expressions when mm-hmm. when when Kestra does something. Like the, the camera will often cut to him, just like beaming yeah. with the yeah. pride of a dad who really loves his daughter. And we also get this idea that Data and the adventures of TNG have sort of been the bedtime stories of this household. Can't imagine. It's going to be so great. (laughs) Right. Uh, Has he told Castro the story about the time that he (laughs) (laughs) de-evolved? Is he... uh, You know, there was a time when your mother was a fish. (laughs) And her eyes have developed nictitating membranes. Has he told her the story about the time he put that thing on and paraded around like one of them? (laughs) I don't believe this. (laughs) You know what? Speaking of wardrobe... You know they're not going to give us that kind of fan service, but to see inside Will Riker's closet yeah. would be amazing. Yeah. But also, uh, Will Riker is keeping it very chill yeah. in, in his uh, in his house pants and house robe. Yeah, very like kimono inspired. Yeah. A lot of deep V's. Yeah, it's know. the best. Yeah. <laughs> Bringing the V back. Like, it, I mean, to Will Riker, it never really left. No. <laughs> he's he's like, this never goes out of style, baby. Yeah. I love it. Never I in love fashion, them. but I'm always in style. It's not totally joyful in the Troy Riker household. They have absorbed a great loss in a season that seems to be thematically related to the losses we feel yeah. in in a lifetime. They've lost their son, Thaddeus Troy Riker, uh, and everyone feels that grief every moment. Yeah, it's the child's bedroom that hasn't been changed since the child passed the deep breath that troy takes before going in yeah soji and kestra are in kestra's room with the bunk beds you know going through what we need to be clear we're talking about actual bunk beds and not like a shuttlecraft in her bedroom (laughs) we have uh we've built ourselves a word prison the the l baz is inside kestra's (laughs) bedroom (laughs) (laughs) um and and they're you know having the conversation about like what's it like to realize that you're three years old and uh probably an android and that's a real heavy trip for soji but also like i feel like kestra is kind of a perfect person to like work through some of that stuff because She's as curious as anyone else, and she doesn't have any it's sort non-judgmental of... curiosity. Totally, but also like super in touch with like what it must feel like. She's also uh, very similar to Soji in that when you're a child, you don't know what the truth is except for what your parents tell you it is. Right, and so like Soji has that same kind of relationship with the world around her. If you compare that to being programmed, right. 
and uh, and she's also capable of uh, meting out death on a huge scale the way Soji is because she is killing these jackalopes that run around on this planet yeah. with reckless abandon so that her dad can make them into sausage. I love this. I, I mean, not only is their cabin in the woods, you know, beautiful. It looks like it's got a, a sunroom. Yeah. And an upper level. It's got it's got room for shuttlecraft parking. But uh, he, he's doing a little uh, cured meat yeah. situation there, yeah, and he's got yeah. an outdoor outdoor Every, pizza oven. Are you kidding me? Artisanal, you know. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing's too good for Will Riker. Eternity never looked so lovely. Uh, yeah. I mean, this may be like the one departure. Uh, for a Berkeley kid, as she would probably be like a vegan. Oh, and, right. <laughs> if uh, if she was one of the children that I grew up around. Yeah, you get the you get the sense that the jackalopes are pretty dangerous. They've got venom sacks. Yeah. And if you eat them the wrong way, uh, you get pretty sick. Yeah, you get Agnes Girati levels of sick. <laughs> <laughs> Back on the La Serena, Rios has slowed his ship down in such a way that uh, he's thinking he's just being followed. At this point, he doesn't know he's being tracked. Yeah. So he's like, well, if we're on the same course and he's following from behind, I'm just going to shut her down yeah. and let him zoom by. And by the time he figures out that, that we're not in front of him anymore, anymore we're going to be uh, free and clear. It's the Top Gun trick, yeah. kind of. They've got the number of this ship. It's a uh, the head of the snake, mm-hmm. and it's very well armed, so they're not going to try and pick a fight with it. Yeah. Um, I thought that these shots were a little strange because it, like, it would like show both ships. You know, there would be like mm-hmm. an exterior mm-hmm. establishing of both ships, and they'd be like, "It's just, it's just inside of our, or, or it's just outside of our scanning range." Like, it looked really close. It yeah. looked like you could like yell from the one to the other. Their scanning if you were range in an atmosphere. is how far they can hold an arm out a window. <laughs> yeah, like what the? Does yeah. the La Serena have terrible sensors? I don't know. Probably. I just feel like it was like like maybe the visuals were like a little bit misaligned with what yeah. they shot with the uh, with the actors. Gerati isn't acting the same as she was in the beginning, and this is something that Rafi has begun to notice yeah. about her. Rafi really like reads her. She sees that Gerati is trying to bail, but Rafi's read is basically just that she's kind of lost her appetite for the space adventure and wants to go home and feel safe now. She doesn't she doesn't pick up on the layer underneath mm-hmm. what is motivating mm-hmm. Gerardi. And I really liked how uh Gerardi kind of turned up the anger. Like you you could see it wash over her face like oh, I'm gonna try getting angry and like stamping my feet and saying I want to go home. Yeah. Because she doesn't want to be a party to what's going on anymore. Like, she's being eaten inside. And it seems like she's still pretty committed to whatever Commodore O convinced her was going to happen. But she doesn't want to be involved in it anymore. I think it's really interesting to see the all the different seasons of Rafi's addiction. Because... You know, when she was trying to kick the snake weed, you got a version of her. When she was in full-on addict mode, you saw a version of her that was also like very self-obsessed with her own deal. Yeah, she seems to be a functional addict right now. Right at this moment in time in the show, because she is showing empathy and interest in other people. Right, uh, she seems to have found like right or wrong, like the right balance of things to where she can, she can work professionally and personally with this crew while still smoking that dank 
snake weed you know <laughs> yeah she's she's like a uh a, like a denver snake weed user at yeah. this point you know <laughs> you gotta get that denver snake weed yeah that's the shit right there she's got a bit of you know an important profession she's but she still loves yeah. to fucking cut loose when she gets off work are we looking at an emergency here Back on Nepenthe, time is the fire in which we burn the pizza, <laughs> Ben. And the one person we know can't abide a pizza oven. Uh, we get one of our favorite characters from Star Trek past, Kira Norris, beams yeah. to the surface, blows up the pizza oven. Just recklessly shoots it while they're standing right next to it. And I don't know what this oven was filled with, but everyone's dead. It blows big. <laughs> And then we go to credits. Again. Did not see the season ending where it did. I know. Anyway, I I hope one day we can get uh outdoor pizza oven. I'm not I don't want to be a wealthy man. I just want that outdoor pizza oven money. Yeah. It yeah. seems like a good scene. I mean, I think if you had I feel like you're you know, if you guys ever move back to Seattle, That's, you could probably do that in that yeah, backyard. You, you can't do that in LA. No. That's just uh, I man. When I put the barbecue on in in our little like back patio yeah. at our place, yeah, uh, such as it is, yeah. I feel guilt because <laughs> I watch the little little sparks go up into the sky, and I'm like, mm, yeah. <laughs> I could land on something. The reason you have an outside kitchen like Will Riker does is so you can entertain. Mm-hmm. Because what do we know about having a dinner party? Everyone everyone gathers in the kitchen. Yeah. You take that kitchen outside, all of a sudden Picard's out there, you're drinking some wine, you're catching up. We learned something in this scene, Ben, and that is Tri- Troy and Riker move to this planet because the soil has regenerative powers. Yeah. Is this, this is... a pet cemetery situation with their dead son? <laughs> well, sometimes... That is better. Did ben. Jay Gordon talk them into moving here? Did yeah. he tell them that what their son needed was weird dirt? Is this a radish pizza? <laughs> Gross. Uh, speaking of reeds, Riker reads Picard in this scene and fucking nails it. I love how everyone is telling Picard his story back at him. Yeah. Yeah, Picard uh, has has really stuck to his guns on, I don't want to involve you in this. Yeah. And Riker's like, well, so cloaking, probably tell Shi'ar. She's probably Data's daughter because I saw the way she tilted her head. Uh, am I getting close? <laughs> it's kind of like the first episode of uh, Star Trek The Next Generation when Riker comes aboard and watches the yeah. first half of the episode. <laughs> we get that a couple of times. In this episode, even <laughs> the the recapitulation of the season, yeah, it uh, and then and then Riker ends with a truth or fiction style <laughs> end to his monologue. Yeah, it's great. Um, over in the tomato patch, uh, Soji and Troy have a an interesting hang where Troy uh, gives gives Soji one of these tomatoes, tells her to Looks take like a bite. Really great tomato. That's what that looks like. It did look like a perfect tomato. Like, you know, wonder how they how they source these, right? Because because yeah. like if you if you walk into a average grocery store on an average day, the tomatoes are going to be not this color. A and, tomato that red 
is going to be wrinkly in five minutes. It yeah. will have just reached peak red red ripeness. Right. You could be like monitoring the stores for a week yeah. and it, like that must be what they did, right? Like they they're like, okay, this scene is a floater in this in the shooting schedule. We're just gonna have to have a PA like sit at the Vons until they restock the tomatoes. And when the when they look great, that's when we shoot it. <laughs> I know we have had or will have opportunities to ask direct questions of people who work in production <laughs> on this show and on Discovery, and I'm just going to burn one of those questions right now. I'm, is that my camera? Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm addressing the people who work on Star Trek Picard right now. <laughs> what is the deal with these tomatoes? Wow. I want to know the tomato backstory. If this means we never get to ask another question again directly, so be it. Fine. I think it's crucial. Uh, do you think Troy was planning this when she handed the tomato to Soji? Or do you think she spotted the teachable moment in the conversation? Because what's brought out here is Soji has never eaten non-replicated food. This is her first bite of quote-unquote real food. She immediately leaps to real is better, and then we see... It wash over her that she may not, in fact, be biologically derived or, you know, she might not be a real girl. And then Troy uses it to kind of like turn it into a little impromptu therapy session. Do you think that Troy like went over to the tomato patch and took one look at those tomatoes and was like, I've got a pretty cool idea here? I mean, what's clear is that the technology that Counselor Troy has available to her as a counselor is such that like, she can turn a tomato into a teachable moment anytime she wants to, whether yeah. or not there's a tomato there or anything else. I guess the significance of, that, of the scene wasn't as profound to me. I guess I kind of assumed that a lot of people in Starfleet would have maybe only ever had replicated food, and that might not be that unusual. Yeah. But the story she's trying to tell with it still still stands. This conversation turns to the issue of trust. Yeah. And um, Soji doesn't feel like she can trust anything. Like, she's been making little little remarks the entire time about, like, you're playing mind games with me and, and uh, like, you know, just keep it going with the, with the deceptions. She really does not have the thing that Dodge had of a innate sense that Picard was a person that she could be safe around. And right. I wondered if that's because she's the one that got sent to the cube. She yeah. didn't get that programming. Yeah. She got different programming. You were the destroyer! That makes sense. That's some good canon. Just a, Some good head canon. Yeah, just a little dab of head canon for the episode. Wouldn't be an episode of The Greatest Discovery without it. Picard, uh, well, dinner's ready, but Picard doesn't say that when he approaches. Picard sarcastically teases her about her reality being a lie. It's bad timing, yeah. Jean-Luc. Read the room, Jean-Luc. Yeah. Troy is not a, a potted plant in this episode, but one thing that she was often used for in her potted plant days on TNG was to remind people to empathize and right. treat each other like full humans. Yeah. And uh, she definitely has to do that again in this moment. Yeah, I mean, I think the case that she makes is why wouldn't she be paranoid about her reality? That's really pressing a bruise, JL. Yeah. Back on the cube, Hugh is ripshit about this uh, 
this whole situation and has resolved to do something back in the queen cell to uh, remove the Romulans from the station entirely. He's uh, apparently got, there's something in there that he can do to to cause that to happen. And Elnor is walking with him as uh, as he talks out this plan and uh you can't say it out loud guys come on classic star trek slip up where you walk into a room and you don't realize that somebody's right around a corner listening and rizzo walks out of the smoke with we know the bulk ship is an open floor plan (laughs) (laughs) we've put beams in this part of the ceiling and this part of the ceiling to hold up the load of the upper sections of the Borg Cube. If your conversations require privacy, we suggest one of the many <laughs> privacy and breastfeeding rooms. <laughs> yeah, so this turns into Elnor, uh, you know, protecting Hugh and running around cutting Jatvash killers down. It's a fun nod to Indiana Jones here, I thought. Like, Elnor with his sword and Rizzo with the gun. Yeah. Rizzo just tries to shoot him. Yeah. And uh, and then she's like, suggests more of a fair fight, an even footing fight where they they put their respective weapons away. He he sheaths his sword. She cat baskets her dust buster. <laughs> if, if this is your first episode... Of any of our shows, and that was the moment you decided to start listening. <laughs> you are not having a stroke. <laughs> she does cat basket that dustbuster. <laughs> yeah, they've gone to an invisible cat basket, right? The, the, a cloaked cat cat basket yeah. here in this in this future. Um, She's got Romulan throwing stars. Yeah, she uh, she does not really keep up her end of the bargain no. here. And uh, and she throws one of these uh, into Hugh's neck. Unfortunately, uh, she's beamed out before uh, Elnor can dispatch her. And I thought that this transporter beam looked like the Federation style of transporter beam. Uh-oh. Because we've definitely, I mean, we've only seen Federation style transporter beams in this series. But I think one thing that is pretty well established in Star Trek canon is that different species transporter technology looks and sounds a little different. It's true. So um, I'm guessing that this is Commodore O coming to pick her up or something. Fucking O. Fucking O. (laughs) RSVP Hugh. Yeah. Do you think he's really dead? I think so. That makes me really sad. Yeah. And Jonathan Del Arco gets a great deathbed scene here. I think it's it's so important to note that you see his Borg half of his face in profile when he's he's talking toward the end of his life. Yeah. And expressing his feelings. Like I, I really like that choice. Yeah. For blocking this moment. Right. Yeah. It seems like it wouldn't work and wouldn't be as true to character. Yeah. If they'd if they'd flipped the scene around and had him die facing the other direction. Yeah. Which is Kind of a weird point to work backwards from, but I guess that's what you have to do. I'm obviously very sad about this, and I'm just wondering how upset I will eventually be at that character being taken off the board. Yeah. Like, I know that's the exchange, right? If you want to feel something deeply on a TV show, you got to 
you get to break some fucking hues right. from time to time. Yeah. And so like I'm grateful for I'm grateful for Hugh's service as a character <laughs> and that we got to hang out with him a few more times, but like that's the cost, isn't it? Yeah. Like that's how it goes. You know, one thing I like to do when I'm uh when I'm feeling sad is eat a big sweet treat. And uh that's uh that's the tack Rafi takes with Agnes Gerati. She replicates a an oops all frosting cake. Gerati's not against replicated food. Yeah. Can you make yourself feel less full off of replicated food the way that you can turn off the effects of synthahol? Oh, interesting. That would be nice. That would be cool. I bet if you could, people would just eat and eat and eat, though. That would be bad. <laughs> could they make food that's, like, less dense? Like, you feel like you're eating something, but, like, there's less matter in it? I don't know. Who knows? One thing that I felt like there was a bit of a continuity issue with the fact that the cake was clearly, like, 90% frosting, but then when she barfed, it was all cake color? Yeah, when Rios is freaked out seeing red coming out of her, yeah, Rafi mentions that that's the red velvet cake that she had yeah. moments previous. Do you think that they were like getting ready to shoot that scene and the and the props department showed up with the piece of cake and they're like, "What the fuck is this?" And they're like, "This is like the best looking piece of cake we've ever seen." And they're like, "Fine, yes, <laughs> except for she's supposed to throw up later, and he's supposed to say, "Oh my God, is she barfing blood?" Guys, what the hell?" What are you doing to us? <laughs> Allison Pill at this moment uh, sees the the hat trick coming. Yeah. This is the second the second vomit scene. Yeah. I think uh I think the third is in range and I think if you're an actor, you've got to be excited at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Very few people go for the vomit hat trick <laughs> in one episode, man. Rafi's uh, Rafi's counsel here is a lot like Deanna Troy's, isn't it? And what my film paper is about <laughs> is about their two ways of caring for people who need it, but they both use food, right? Yeah, and then chocolate specifically. Yeah. But yes, I agree, Adam. It's really eating her inside. She barfs, <laughs> and uh, Rafi has to run because their Romulan uh, tail is back on them. Was this the first time you really got a sense of the geography of the ship? Because it was for me. Like, we're using the ladder a whole lot. We're seeing foreground, background. Like, from yeah. within Six Bay, we're seeing the bridge. From up in the bridge, we're seeing down to Six Bay. Like, I it's feel a like, big, empty space. I feel like it took a long time for me to really grok the space. Yeah. No, I felt the same way. Back on uh, Nepenthe, they're finally sitting down to dinner. And the suggestion has been made to Picard, use our dinner table like the like the conference table and the observation lounge on the Enterprise. And uh, I really liked that the center of the table was lit up. The, like, yeah. it's like, it's not an underlit piece of translucent plastic. It's right. a long row of candles because rustic. Yeah. But it's a very <laughs> similar table. It's great. And they're sitting around it. And this is... Uh, this is a scene where Picard kind of breaks it to them where he's at. He says, "Like, listen, if Rios, if this guy Rios doesn't show up and pick us up, like, we're gonna I'm, need a backup captain. I'm kind of out of cards here, and I'm gonna need to figure out another another spaceship. Is there a wretched hive of scum and villainy anywhere on this planet?" And I was like, "Well, there's a couple, but uh, 
I, we, we think your guy's going to show up. And then they turn to the issue of whether or not Soji should trust Picard. Right. And uh, it's a big scene. I think it's big and really well done. I love how Soji approaches whether or not Picard can be trusted or whether or not he's telling the truth because she approaches him from the same perspective as a lie detector test. Like, if you believe that you are telling the truth, you will pass a lie detector test. Right. And what Soji tells Picard to his face is, like, you believe yourself to be trustworthy, but I don't have any reason to believe the same. Right. I also, like, this scene, they're, they're throwing around this Captain Rupert character's yeah. name yeah. and talking about how great he Can't is. Can't wait to meet this guy. <laughs> really want to know all about Captain Rupert. Also... I would have really loved a cutaway to Picard, like taking just a little bit of umbrage with the idea that anyone could be as good as him as captain, because clearly Kestra really loves the guy. Yeah. And he's sort of like Uncle Rupert in a way that is beloved. Yeah. Like, I wonder to what extent Picard was allowed or disallowed from being a little bit jealous about all this Rupert talk. You know, (laughs) I'm a pretty good captain, too. (laughs) Best captain ever, right? Yeah. Um, a little weird to have a line like that in a show that you executive produce. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? I thought so, too. It's like it's like the most false modesty to be like, oh, who said that about me? Ho, ho, ho. The, uh, the Troy Riker household does not have a devices at the dinner table rule because uh, Kestra has been under the table. Yeah. Uh, sending messages to Captain Rupert. Yeah. And what she's found is the location of Soji's planet based on her brief description of it at the dinner table. Yeah. She has all of the same information that the ROMs do, but yeah. uh, apparently that's enough. I mean, you know, you look up in the sky on this planet and sometimes <laughs> you see the moon and sometimes you don't, but if you see two moons and lightning on this one planet, apparently that is enough to narrow it down. Yeah. <laughs> you look up in the sky anytime on Nepenthe and you're seeing the entire fruit bowl up there. <laughs> you can see it all. Woo, baby. The scene ends with a uh, a little moment of Picard basically saying, like, I was waiting to die before, but now I have a mission, Soji, and you don't have to trust me, but I'm going to do this mission and nobody can stop me when I'm doing a mission. And I was like, ah, yes, <laughs> Captain Picard can't be stopped. Right. Right. This is a marshalling of his like mental resources and his confidence in a way that we haven't seen the whole season. Yeah. Yeah. He was kind of uh, following instinct before, but now he's kind of said it out loud. Right. In a really cool way. Back in Six Bay, Rios confides in Gerardi that he thinks they have a mole or like someone's being tracked and that person he suspects is Rafi. Yeah. I kind of wondered if he was saying he suspected Rafi because he actually suspected Gerardi and he wanted to see if he could draw her out. But uh, That would be a smart guy thing to do. That would be a smart guy thing to do, but it's not It's no. not that. He definitely suspects Rafi. <laughs> I think it's great that Gerardi says that it's her without saying it's her. He yeah. just... He just she just disputes that it's Rafi. Right. Because almost immediately, uh, Rios is called back to the bridge. And is, like, giving Rafi major side-eye yeah. from from his captain's seat. When Gerardi's left alone, she's left alone with a replicator. And 
In that time she's given, she makes a hypospray of neranium hydride. This is something the replicator cautions her <laughs> about ingesting. Yeah, depending on species, this could be bad. I feel like it could say that after replicating anything. Like, it replicates a hammer, and it's like, uh, careful, <laughs> hammers are bad for skulls. If I had a neranium hydride, I'd hydrate in the morning. <laughs> and uh, this is it, Ben. This is, this is the moment where, where Gerardi goes for the hat trick. Yeah. She hyposprays her neck. So she had her, her first barf was sushi. Yeah. Her second barf red was velvet cake. red velvet cake. Her third barf, foam. Yeah. Yeah. Like a seagull who's been fed an Alka-Seltzer. <laughs> she lets the foam fly. Yeah. And, uh, and the EMH uh, pops into existence, and, uh, and we, we see it kind of like through the distorted final glimpses as, uh, as she slips under. Yeah. Back on Narek's ship, we see the effect of the hypospray. By, by hypospraying herself, Gerardi has turned off the tracker. Yeah. And Narek does that thing where he, like, punches the steering wheel of his car He's, because his nav doesn't work. He's very pissed. It's, uh, it's, it's interesting. I wonder how this thing works. Like, it's not battery-powered. It seems to be, like, biologically powered. Yeah. And yeah. her... She, she must have known something about it as a physician because... She's not dead. She hasn't killed herself. The thing about Gerardi after after consuming the the tracker is that she could never go eat at one of those restaurants where there are a bunch of like molecular gastronomy foams <laughs> because the foam is the thing that dissolves uh. the tracker, right? So any, every time Rafi's yeah. like, you know, maybe we should go to like a Grant Eshat's yeah. restaurant or something. No, like no 11 Madison Park, no, no Mugger Eats. I, <laughs> Look, those places sound great and everything. No, no Arzac. Yeah. <laughs> How come Gerardi never wants to eat anywhere cool? It's too bad. She's like two stars and under. She's never going for a three star, ever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the EMH tells Rios that Gerardi has fallen into a coma. Or if you're jaunty about it, a foma. Mm. <laughs> The kids will always talk about having FOMA these days. Yeah. Fear of missing Agnes. All right. Mm. Yeah. You you saved that one. <laughs> Took it in a surprising direction. Humor. Um, <laughs> on the ar- artifact, Elnor is now a one-man band, and he is... He's like a deli slicer with, a, <laughs> with, the, with the guard taken off. Yeah. He's like... This is the this is the first person action video game uh, based on Star Trek Picard, right? Elmore right. on the artifact, just yeah. doing combination moves with his swords, level by level, dispatching Tal Shiar, yeah. Jat Vash, yeah, maybe some like maybe some unrecovered Borgs in one level. You, you know? hit L one and R one at the same time to hide under this Borg desk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he slips under this Borg desk, and uh, what does he find under there? He finds the Fenris Ranger beacon. Yeah. And what? you know he's going to hit that thing. How did the fucking get left there? I don't know, man. Uh... They should have established it getting left there. Yeah. If they did, I missed it. I mean, Picard didn't leave it behind in the in the Queen's 
room, right? No. Was that a Picard leave behind? No, it was on this desk. It was like hanging off the the edge of this desk. I mean, the only other time we've ever seen one of those was the one that Seven gives Picard. Does Picard maybe, still have his? Here's the thing. When you work in this area of space, maybe everyone has has the, the Fenris Rangers button. Well, everybody that's seen the late night infomercial, help, I'm falling and I can't get up. Fenris Rangers, come rescue me. <laughs> Those commercials are so sad. Have you seen one lately? I, uh, I feel like when we were growing up, the commercials were laughable, and now it's like, Grandma's going to suffer <laughs> at the bottom of the staircase. <laughs> and the thing about being at the bottom of a staircase for two weeks is that you die slow. Yeah. Real slow. <laughs> That's a level of detail we never got in the 90s. Yeah, I don't think so. It was mostly just about how... Robots are everywhere, and they eat old people's medicine for fuel. I think this is a good sign for... Uh, potentially getting a seven of nine back on yeah. the scene, which I love. Yeah, I think seven, seven, and Elnor joining up to kill a ton of Romulans is probably the body count on this season is about to go way up. <laughs> yeah. It's about to be bonkers. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, uh, Rios is uh, able to ditch the the head of the snake and is on his way to Nepenthe, and uh, we get some final moments with the. Troy Riker family, uh, a nice hang between Picard and Riker out on a little, on a little dock over a a, a pond that's as, that's small enough that I don't think you would need to build a dock over it, other than just to have a nice place to sit. That's all you need. Yeah, it's great. It's really nice. Do you age into touching your friends as much as Picard and Riker here? Because I can't see myself ever sitting on a bench and, like, putting my arm around you or anyone else. I know. Well, it's you know, nice. We uh, we grew up in a particular time. Like, I heard a uh, This American Life piece that talked to a bunch of people that went to Iraq during our invasion of it under George W. Bush. And one of them was, like, a lady that I, – I can't remember what she did, but she was some kind of private contractor and – she knew a bunch of like local people, and one of them was a guy who she would see like walking down the street with his best friend holding hands, and and she was like, "I told him you like you can't do that," and it's just like in their culture, if you're two dudes and your best buds, you hold hands because they didn't have the gay panic of the '80s and '90s. Interesting. But I think like our generation of men like definitely like grew up in an era where that implied something that. Was oh, I want to be clear. To I am not gay panicked about it. It's I'm, that I'm, I don't like touching people or being touched generally. Well, I'm saying, I'm saying that's I, that's probably true of you, and I don't think that it's coming from a bad place in you, but I think that yeah. our culture puts a lot of that stuff on us that we're not aware of. That's fair. That's so, fair. I uh, I really liked the the like I wrapping like the arms scene. around each other, and um, you get a lot of that until the end of the episode. That that physical affection between all of them is so pronounced. Yeah, that three way hug is like is like Ugh, one of the stomach most stomach punch. Yeah, and I they like it. kiss each other. Mm-hmm. And and Picard goes full tongue with Troy, <laughs> which I was uh, amazed to see. Like, I mean, I knew they were really close, but that's right. like, wow. I uh, I always notice this, and so I'm going to call it out because I'm going to be fair. <laughs> it's one thing you're gonna you know about me when I talk about these Star Trek shows and about movies. Harsh but fair, right? There is a drone shot here over the lake. Yeah, it's the establishing shot. 
we were flying over the water. But they they make the edit after this little unintentional what i think this pan move by the by the by the drone and you got to make the cut a second before that like this is the giveaway this is the giveaway to every drone shot in any tv show or movie is you can sell it so that you don't even think about it being a drone shot until something like that is left in yeah and it's just a half a second of rotation but it's an unnatural camera rotation that only a that only looks like a drone had shot it. Right. And you got to cut before that. It's not a guy with a camera on his shoulder shooting out the side of a helicopter. Yeah. Yeah. That's my nit to pick mm. here on that. And an otherwise really beautiful scene. Fuck. I'm I want to not... be the third on that little bench, Ben. Yeah. I want to get right between those two <laughs> and not speak to either of them. <laughs> I mean, if that stomach punch wasn't enough... The scene that follows is Kestra telling Soji what everyone who loves Star Trek believes. And that is, if you don't have a parent, or if your parents aren't doing it for you in the parental department, you've got Captain Picard, and he will be your parent instead. All you have to do is choose that. Yeah. And even, like, saying the words is giving me chills. Like, Kestra might as well be, like, turning to camera and saying that. Yeah, like she's she's convincing Soji, but what she's doing is telling all of us that yeah. the truth that we've known for twenty five years. Eight year old Adam sitting cross legged on the living room floor, yeah, like needed to hear it in those specific terms. And you follow that up with the the three way hug of Riker, Troy, and Picard at the end. Yeah. Like, give me a break! Like I was just dying at yeah. the end of this. It. I loved it. I loved how it ended. And it made me wonder, like, when when Soji and Picard beam away and we get, like, the territorial, like, the music swells and we see Riker and Troy together, like, there's a finality to the feeling of that scene that makes me wonder if that's it for those characters. It makes me happy yeah. because I feel like they're happy, but in a greedy way. <laughs> I think they're, I think at least Riker is coming back. Yeah. Um, but, uh Yeah. The one thing I noticed about this scene was uh, when Soji gives Kestra her hug, you get a, a nice close-up of Soji's hands. And uh, despite beating a hole in the floor of that room yeah, like two days ago, her manicure is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's something uh, our wives would be very envious of, yeah. a, a lacquer that lasts that long. Yeah. Fuck, these are gels and they're already going. <laughs> Yeah, we get a little TNG music sting. We we see the fruit bowl up above <laughs> in the sky above Nepente, and that's our episode, Ben. Uh, did you like the episode? I was so looking forward to this one. For the Frakes and Sirtis aspect of it. Like, I wanted to be with Troy and Riker again so badly. Yeah. And... It felt so good to be with them again. I think to think of this episode is going to be to think about them. When I read interviews with them before this episode and before the season, what did you hear? You heard about how difficult it was for the actors to find their voices again after so long. Yeah. And I was so happy and surprised and relieved that clearly they did. This is Will Riker and this is Deanna Troy. And those are their voices and their mannerisms and how they talk and think about things. To whatever extent the actors had faced challenges in like finding that within themselves, I'm so happy that they did 
and that their fear of not being able to find it didn't discourage them from trying because well said i think they did it and yeah. it's it's the reason that makes the episode great to me totally i mean i think um it's that thing of they did a lot of hard work and in the end it comes off looking easy it that's just feels it, like it. the characters yeah yeah like without those interviews i th- i don't think we ever would have known how difficult that was it's an episode where it feels like a lot happens and it's very like actiony but also thinking about it i'm thinking about tranquility being safe being you know being secluded thinking about you know the different choices people make toward the end of their lives and in retirement like picard and riker talk about riker being on what is it detached to service or whatever like he could get called up he could he could answer the call if he wanted to yeah but he's he's chosen his cabin life in a way that suits him the way that a similar life could never suit picard yeah do we know if riker ever got that fourth pip or did he just decide not to bother well i mean he he was assigned the the titan as a captain oh, at the yeah. end of the last tng movie and that was right. that was going to be his story he picard got a new exo they do say like they yeah. like they raised their kids on starships and that was why yeah. uh, thaddeus was so interested in the idea of having a home world the titan was a story that was only told in books but but it was only it was only just referred to at the end of the last tng movie hmm. weird that they gave raker a ship that had the same name he'd given his dong. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, his ship isn't called Uncut Titan. <laughs> so that's only half true. The hooded Titan. <laughs> uh, do you want to see if we have any Priority One messages? Yeah, got to do that. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. Ben, our first Priority One message is for Daniels. And it is from Future Daniels, fixing the timeline in 350 characters or less. <laughs> the message goes like this. Say no to the massage therapist. Those extra services include a chest hickey and a weird rash mm. that you can't explain away. Mm. If I've got this P1 right, it should hit season one of TGG and your life won't spiral into the abyss. <laughs> Oh no, Daniels! (laughs) Oh, I've got spare characters. In my dark future, timeline Trump beats Clinton, but you can stop it. All you have to do is... Oh no! And that's where it cuts off. Future Daniels, kind of a (laughs) fuck-up. Yeah, sending the message to the wrong show and the wrong season. Yeah. I don't believe in future Daniels' ability to solve our world's problems. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm hoping future Daniels works some of those kinks out, though. He tries again. Kinks at the massage table, you mean? Mmm. <laughs> I just mean sore muscles, Ben. Our next P1 is from Astrid, and it's for Matt. It goes like this. Hi, kiddo. Like the greatest gen listeners heard... It's your first birthday. My favorite picture over the last year was of you, a few weeks old, with a disco command badge pinned to your pink swaddling blanket. Mm. I couldn't wait to share it, not just with our family and friends, but with all of the friends of DeSoto. They'll be your friends too. Wow. That's two P1s for one kiddo on two podcasts. It's pretty great. I love the... I love the confidence of being born into the greatest gen family. Yeah. I mean, 
I uh, admire the amount of confidence Matt has in our ability to keep this thing going. Yeah, into eventually uh, not canceling ourselves <laughs> with some bullshit. <laughs> Uh, wow. Well, if you would like to uh, send a message from the future or send a message to your daughter, you know what to do. Head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. It's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message. And we really appreciate it because this is our gerb. <laughs> Top of the morning to you. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in below-the-kilt care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality, and this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscapes.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times, and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals, and they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on. Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. 
The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself an Edward Larkin? I did. I'm giving it to Picard this episode. I'm shocked by that. And it is for the A-bomb getting dropped outside of his control. Uh, the the look on his face when when Castro says the word android, and then again when she uh, when when it comes to Soji's attention that Dodge is no longer <laughs> Picard uh, Picard really like gives a gives like a take that is super funny, and I laughed both times I saw it. I am shocked that your Edward Larkin isn't Riker. Which mine has to be. Yeah. Well, Picard would have gotten it if he if he didn't get it for that. He also gets it for when he picks up the bottle of wine that Riker has out there by the pizza oven and 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 gives it the like the like look down the nose at the label like what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> you know I make this. Yeah. Yeah, that was low key shade, right? I loved that. Yeah. Uh, so Riker is yours by not yeah by not saying anything about the wine he says a lot yeah about the wine <laughs> yeah I mean I think it's it's Riker barking starship commands at his house yeah like it could be just as simple as that for me yeah Riker's got his house wired up in the way a guy who's into trains sets up a model train in his basement yeah like Riker's turned the log cabin into a starship <laughs> it's great he's on an away mission to the outdoor pizza oven. I love it so much. I love him so much. If this is it, uh, thanks, Frakes, for coming back. And thanks, Marina. Yeah. Well, what episode are we going to be thankful for next week, Ben? I'm. Uh, this is breaking news. Yeah. Breaking news on our show. Uh, we have the titles of the last three episodes of oh, Star Trek shit. Picard. Uh, the eighth episode, which is next week is called Broken Pieces. Mm. Episode 9 is called Et in Arcadia Ego, Part 1. Lego, my Et in Arcadia Ego. And episode 10, the season finale, Et in Arcadia Ego, Part 2. Wow. Wow. But we see some things coming up next week, and I think I think, I think the, those things are wearing hoods. I think that, yeah, much like the Titan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the uh, the implication I got from the trailer for next week's episode on the Titan to release the shuttlecraft, you have to you have to pull back the shuttle bay door <laughs> a little bit, and yeah. you got to make sure that door's clean. Yeah, every time, soap and water. <laughs> every time you take a shower. Um, I got the sense that next week is when we're going to find what the mind-breaking secret is. Yeah, yeah. Because there's some people learning it and. And attempted to claw out their minds. <laughs> yeah. yeah, get this out of me. Yeah, um, yeah, and a lot of uh, a lot of discussion of the hell that will start if uh, if this gets out. What if this is? What if season one of Star Trek Picard is canonical event horizon? <laughs> hell is only a word. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> kind of seems that way, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. Can't believe it. Episode 8 next week. Fuck. Um, another bit of breaking news. I saw that. I saw a post that uh, Discovery has been renewed through season 5 at this point. That's great. Yeah. I love that. I love the confidence right now. That's some fucking swagger. Yeah. So, Into it. Uh, looking forward to all of that. And yeah. uh, I think we will leave it with our buddy Rob's, 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 Rob's from here. Yeah, let's do it. Thanks, Rob's. Next week's the Max Fun Drive. The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast hosted by Benjamin Harrison and Adam Pranica. It's produced by me, Rob Schulte. Our theme music is by Friend of DeSoto and YouTube sensation Adam Ragusia. The Greatest Discovery is made possible by the support of our listeners like you. Make sure the show continues by going to MaximumFun.org slash donate. If you'd like to discuss the show online, please use the hashtag Greatest Discovery. You can find Ben on Twitter at BenjaminAHR, Adam is at Cut for Time, and I'm at Rob K. Schulte. Thanks, we'll see you on the next episode of The Greatest Discovery. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.